welcome to GradCast. This is the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I am your host, Francesco Colosimo. And I'm your co-host, Ariel Frame. And we are here with Rose Giles, first year's history master's student at Western, of course. Thank you for being here, Rose. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit yourself. What, uh, what brings you to history and what brings you to Western? Yeah, so I actually did my undergrad degree at Western as well. Um, and what can I say? I guess I kind of liked it and wanted to stay a little bit longer. Um, I really loved my experience in the history department um, in my undergraduate degree. And I thought that it would be a really great decision to just transition on into my master's there as well. Um, in terms of getting into history, um, it's something that I've always really enjoyed, but I actually applied to do my undergraduate degree in classical studies initially. Um, I was convinced that I was going to be an archaeologist, you know, like a female Indiana Jones running around doing all of that. And then I took one of the first year history classes and it totally changed my mind. And I decided that history was what I needed to do. Um, and I've just continued on doing that. No, cool. that, that, that sounds great. And I'm like you, I'm doing my master's at Western as well, and, and also did my undergrad at Western. So I think we, we both have some spirit there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about your research. What are you doing in, in your graduate program? Yeah, so my research is on a place called the Western Counties Veterans Lodge. Um, so it's actually located here in London, and I'm sure most people have not heard of it because I had not heard of it um, until I happened to stumble across it on a hike. Um, so I'm not sure if you have heard of Westminster Ponds. Um, it's right near, I believe, Victoria Hospital. Um, it's at this really beautiful hiking location. There's a lot of ponds. Um, and so I was on a hike there one day and my partner and I kind of came across all of these abandoned buildings. Um, there was about two, I think, that were still standing and there was a lot more um, ruins and kind of foundation left around. It's like, this is really weird. We're in the middle of a city. Why is there abandoned buildings? Um, and so sure enough, we found a plaque and a sign um, and it explained a little bit about the place. So it was actually a rehabilitation facility for Second World War veterans um, in London. Now, fast forward a couple of months, I didn't really think anything more of it. And I was having um, a bit of difficulty figuring out what I actually wanted to write my thesis on. Uh, I have two interests in history. Uh, one is military history, one is environmental history. Those don't really mesh very well. They're kind of like polar opposites of the spectrum. So ideally I was hoping I would be able to find a topic that incorporated both of them. And I hadn't until that point, until my partner reminded me of this hike that we'd been on when we came across these buildings. And so I started doing a little bit more research on the facility and I discovered that no one had really written about it. It wasn't really talked about. Um, it does have a heritage designation plan through the city of London. Um, so there are some sort of plans in place to potentially do something with it in the future. But other than that, academics haven't really touched it. Um, and I thought that would be a really interesting thing to write about. And it was a perfect mesh of that environmental and military history. Very cool. That's a, that's a, a nice um, background as to how you got yeah. started. It. Not everyone has that like serendipity. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And it's nice that you have that flexibility. For those that like are not familiar with how um, a history masters works, um, how is it that you got to just choose like, 
whatever you wanted to do. Is that typical for a history program? Yeah, actually it is. Um, so I find that our department gives our students a lot of freedom in terms of what they research. So when I applied for my master's, um, they do ask you to write a little bit about yourself, um, what your research interests are, um, if there's any professors in the department that you would be interested in working with. That's mainly for your own sake. Um, they don't want students coming in that are not gonna have a good match and a professor um, to be your thesis supervisor, right? Like if you want to study, um, say Middle Eastern history and we don't have anyone in the department who can do that, well then maybe it's not really a great fit for what you're doing. Um, outside of that, you don't really need to have like a fully fleshed out topic when you're going into your master's. Um, you kind of use that first year, um, the coursework that you're doing for all your courses in the history department. Um, and that will kind of guide you towards your topic and then in terms of picking the topic, it's completely up to you. Um, you find a thesis supervisor who will agree to work with you. Um, so mine is Dr. Alan McEachern. Shout out to Dr. Alan McEachern um, in the history department, who is an environmental historian and Canadian historian. Um, so he has agreed to be my thesis supervisor. Um, and other than that, uh, the topic, picking the topic is pretty much up to the students. Yeah, no, that's that's so interesting. And, and like Ariel said, I think that's the, uh, the, the most interesting origin story for a thesis <laughs> I've heard where it's, you know, a lot of times, even for me specifically, it's just a ton of going through resources and, and papers and all these things. So that's really yeah. cool that you were able to, you know, stumble on the, the skeleton of this lodge, if you will, and, and have that, that, you know, euphoric, I guess, realization. Yeah. Um, and I guess speaking more on on the rehab center, um, are you aware of you know some of some of the things that went on there and, and the you know the typical rehab day to day like what was happening in that lodge? Yeah, so it's a little bit difficult with this topic because I like like you said. The way I came across it was really ideal. It's like your picture perfect story. That being said, the sources are definitely not picture perfect. They're really not great. Um, because no one's really written on it, there is definitely a little bit of a dearth of information and secondary sources on the facility. Um, the other issue is that a lot of the documents about this facility are still actually restricted um, by the government and by law. Um, so in order to access a lot of this information through the Department of Veteran Affairs, I have had to complete a request uh, to an access of information request um, to actually get my hands on this. Um, and this is really common because it's a lot of like medical records and stuff like that. It's really personal information, right? Like these were men who just come back from war, were recovering from all sorts of injuries, war related, um, whatever they may be. And so this is still kind of like redacted information. Um, so after completing that, they now have to go through and see if this is information that they even want to give me, right? They may say, no, Rose, you're not getting your hands on this information. And that would really, you know, stop this research in its tracks. But outside of that, I have found um, a number of other sources which are really useful. Um, the London Free Press, the um, newspaper, they have a number of newspaper articles that were written about the facility uh, in the 40s. So I've accessed a number of those. Um, the reading room at the London Public Library as well, um, they were super useful for me. Um, they have a copy of a magazine that was actually written and, and put together by the veterans at the lodge. Um, so far, it is the only copy I have been able to find 
uh, it does have an issue number. So I am hopeful that I may find another one somewhere in an obscure archive somewhere. Um, but that is probably the most useful piece of information that I have so far. Um, it gives me specific names of people that were there. Um, it also gave me a lot of information on the day-to-day -day life as well as pictures. Um, so to answer your question, a lot of what was going on there was what we call vocational training. So vocational training was when uh, you would come home from war you have to remember, a lot of these men, when they went away, they didn't actually have a trade or a skill that they learned. They, like, they were pretty young, right? Like early 20s, even in their like late teens. And so they went away to war without any skills or traits. So when they come home, they're not very employable. They don't really have any skills. So vocational training was used to give these men skills to go on and go into the workforce. Um, so at this facility, there was watchmaking classes. There was um, like a garage where they could work on cars. They were, uh, there was university education classes. It was like any number of things. I feel as though it was like any trade you could think of, they had the option to do it. Um, and that was part of the day-to-day. -day. Um, the other part of their day-to-day -day lives was like physical rehabilitation. So they had a number, a number, they had a swimming pool in one of the pavilions that was used. Uh, they had a number of, you know, x-ray machines and other physiotherapy machines for the veterans to use as well. Um, and then they were also encouraged to kind of use the natural environment around them as part of their rehabilitation. So there's a baseball diamond that they were encouraged to use. There was a pond that was stocked with fish and they were encouraged to go fishing. Um, so all of that, as well as opportunities such as publishing the magazine, for example, um, were all kind of incorporated into their day-to-day -day life in the facility. Do you know, uh, so this is rehabilitation for um, war veterans, um, what are, do you know, were they specific rehab, specifically rehabilitating from anything in particular, or was it any war-related ailment? Yeah, so initially, um, I, from what I can tell, it was any war-related ailment. Then fast forward, I believe in 1947, they transitioned the facility to a tuberculosis rehabilitation center. Um, so once the number of like general casualties who needed physical rehabilitation kind of dwindled in those years after the war, then they started bringing in those who had tuberculosis cases. So in this case, it was um, optional admission. Um, so the men decided themselves that they wanted to go in um, they were men that had just been discharged from a sanatoria or a hospital, uh, and they were able to go to Western County's Veterans Lodge and use that as kind of like a transitional home. So they kind of went, instead of going sanatorium to their normal lives, they went sanatorium, Western County's Veterans Lodge, and then home. And the hope in this, like the medical thinking behind it, was that by having this kind of middle ground space, it would prevent the number of reactivated tuberculosis cases in these men. Um, and I do believe they had some success with it. I don't know the specific numbers or how, like if it was drastically more successful than the men that just went from the sanatorium to home. Um, but that was kind of the goal of this facility and that was how it operated, I believe until 1950. I'm, I'm imagining like, uh, you know, you said you came by it and it looks like kind of like ruins. Like is, yeah. is the building now as such like, like half demolished? Have you, have you been inside this, like where the site is at the moment? 
Yeah. So the site, the whole site itself, um, I believe they used to have 11 buildings. So there was 11 different outbuildings. As far as I know, there's only two buildings that are still standing right now. Um, you can't go inside those buildings. They're totally boarded up. Like they're not, you, you can't go in them at all. Um, I was actually chatting um, with one of my coworkers at the library and they, they are from London. And they told me that up until a couple years ago, I think there was actually a museum operating out of one of those buildings. Um, but I'm not sure the circumstances as to why they're no longer there or why the buildings are now boarded up and not in use. Um, as for walking around the grounds as a whole, it's totally open to the public. Like there is a parking lot. Um, it is right in the middle of the walking trails from Westminster Ponds. So you can walk all the way through it and then continue on after the facility into more walking trails. Um, so it's not it's not cordoned off at all. You can walk through it. You just can't go in the remaining buildings. Yeah, no, I was I was kind of thinking along the lines of Ariel there and it was just, you know, you walk up and it's kind of just a structure and, and almost like a historic site. Um, and I guess I was just wondering if, is there any indication that, you know, there was a progression and maybe, you know, everything that was happening in that great lodge moved to a different hospital um, or, or, you know, a different facility that, you know, maybe still be running today or kind of, you know, like a descendant of that? Yeah, absolutely. You're actually totally right. That's exactly what happened. Um, so I'm not sure how familiar you are with like the London hospital system, but there is actually the veterans wing. It's called the Western Counties wing, I believe, um, at I think Victoria Hospital. Um, and so that's actually what ended up happening is the program just ended up getting amalgamated into the actual hospital um, instead of operating as kind of this like separate um, like outpost of buildings. So uh, I guess it um, that might be the same administrators or something. I, I'm actually wondering if there's anyone working there or anyone working at the new place that knows anyone who worked at the original place. It might be difficult to find anyone who who like was a patient there because, like you said, there are privacy issues yeah. there. But um, it'd be really interesting if you could find someone who who's alive today who might have actually been in the original facility. Yeah. I feel like you guys are just taking the words right out of my mouth. That is exactly what I would love to do. And I mean, it might be a little idealistic and I don't know if practically that is something I would even be able to do. Um, but part of what I would like to do with my research is actually interview um, people who attended the facility. Attended the facility might be a bit of a long stretch given their age now. They would be quite old um, if they were still alive. However, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe the veterans talked with their family about their experiences at the facility, so that could also be an avenue. More likely, however, would probably be staff that used to work there. Um, so I would love to look into that and see. Um, I am currently working on ethics. I have to get that submitted, obviously, before I would be able to do any sort of interviews. Um, and it is a little bit tough because obviously I don't have names, right? I don't really have any way of contacting these people other than kind of putting a call out into the world and saying, please, if anyone knows anyone who works here, contact me, I'm doing research on it. Um, so that is definitely something that I would like to do, but there is a lot of logistics in kind of getting that in motion um, before I would even be able to do anything like that. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's totally understandable how, you know, the names of, 
of, you know, some of the patients there, maybe some of the volunteers or, you know, employees may be protected and by mm-hmm. certain laws or certain rules. And, and I guess maybe, you know, maybe a, a kind of middle ground is studying, you know, the, the progression program that's currently in the veterans wing um, and, and at the Victoria hospital. And I don't know if you've looked at it, but, you know, is there, is there, um, purpose and kind of goals the same like do they have Mm -hmm. similar initiatives and incorporating you know some of the environmental aspects of it as well as you know look obviously treating them medically as well Mm -hmm. yeah so it's definitely not something that I've looked into just because um I wanted to keep kind of the scope of my study um within the the time period that this like out the outbuildings were being used. Um, I do know that what is going on at Victoria Hospital is like it is a veterans hospital, um, but I don't know. I don't know the extent of what they do there for veterans. I don't know if it's um, all veterans or if it's just elderly veterans or or what kind of their capacity is there. Um, So I'm really not sure if that's something that they're still doing there. I guess I I think of any old timey facility and I get this like eerie feeling like it's uh, yeah. it's going to be scary or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think this was like a, a comfortable place for people to be or was it um, a really a hardship? to go through this rehab oh, place. I think it was lovely. <laughs> All the pictures I've seen, I have a couple of pictures in my research that just, it looks really nice. Um, they kept the number of patients pretty small. They had a cap on the number of patients that they could take in every year. And it really did seem like a very like high tech facility. Um, a couple of the newspaper articles that I've read have kind of referenced it as the only one of its kind in Canada um, and really kind of positioned it on the forefront of kind of occupational therapy, physiotherapy and rehabilitation. Um, so I would say it seemed like a really great place. But I mean, this is where I would love to get personal experiences more into the narrative because the documents that I have are really superficial, right? I have the newspaper articles, which are generally people touring the facility and not any reference to the actual veterans. Um, The Department of Veteran Affairs documents that hopefully I will get access to. Most of that is just kind of bureaucratic information. So it's um, the budget for the facility for the year. Uh, It is the number of patients. It is patient files. It doesn't really give you any insight into the lived experiences of the veterans that were at the facility. So while things like the magazine do give me a good indication of what their life was like there, and I do think they were enjoying themselves, um, the magazine that I have here, they had a big Christmas party. And so a lot of what they were talking about was their huge Christmas party and preparing for that. Um, They clearly engaged really well with the nurses and doctors in the facility because they were constantly being referenced throughout the magazine as well. It's really, really hard to know for sure without actually being able to like read about or talk to people who were there. Yeah, no, I I totally see how, you know, you you have to look at this this program, if you will. And, you know, it is a rehab program and facility, but, you know, without speaking to members who are actually there, you know, I, I come from a health science background and you could obviously always just speak to people undergoing, you know, or patients undergoing a certain treatment and, and all those things. So I, I, I definitely see how that could be a challenge. And, 
And, you know, not to put you on the, on the spot at all, but I was just wondering, you know, I know it's early, but what are, you know, the, the main goals you have for this research? Are you trying to just shine a light on kind of what happened at the facility? Or are mm -hmm. you trying to, you know, maybe uh, compare it to existing programs or, or maybe um, show how, you know, evolutionary it was in Canadian, you know, veteran treatment? Like, what, what, where do you think, like, what direction do you think you'll go with that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, a part of it is really shedding light on the facility. I think that it's such a unique part of London's history that no one knows about. Um, and I would really love to help kind of shed light on that and, and the things that were done there. Um, my main goal, though, for the study and for the research that I'm doing is to see whether or not this facility and what they did there was actually effective in rehabilitating um, veterans back into civilian life. Uh, that's kind of the main goal of my study here. Um, I want to know, A, what was going on at the facility, you know, what rehabilitation programs were there, what was the occupational therapy like, and what were their uh, programs like for veterans, but then also see if they were effective. Um, did they actually work? Were veterans rehabilitated more effectively than other facilities? Um, did they find that the tuberculosis cases really were not coming back as much because men were going to this facility instead of going straight back into civilian life? Um, did the vocational training help these veterans actually find more employment? Um, or was it just something that they did and then ended up going into a different trade anyway? Um, so those are kind of the main goals of my study. Um, one of the other kind of sub goals that I would really like to get into should the sources allow is how nature and kind of the natural environment of the facility was used as a tool for rehabilitation in itself. So there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, I guess I'd call it more like mechanical rehabilitation. So using swimming pools or vocational training or um, mental exercises and things like that. But I would love to know whether or not the location that was picked was intentional. You know, did they choose this location because it allowed the veterans to be in nature? Um, was it because they wanted not like nature to be part of the rehabilitation process or was it just kind of a coincidence? Um, a question that comes to my mind about this facility, it, you know, I don't know, I don't know an enormous amount about uh, Canada's role in World War II, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I imagine, you know, Canada having people sent into the war for World War II, it's people from all over Canada. So it's not necessarily going to be an enormous amount of men from one city. It could be from all over. So I'm wondering why, why was the facility here in London? Was there a, a like particularly large amount of men from London, Ontario going to the war in, uh, or... Yeah. Were there people from outside London coming to this rehab facility because it's, you know, uniqueness? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Why so, was it here? Yeah. So there are going through the Department of Veteran Affairs documents. Um, I was actually really surprised. It looked like they opened facilities like this all over Canada. And so I think when these newspapers are saying that it's the only one of its kind in Canada, they are taking a very narrow minded view of that. I think that they really are thinking more in Ontario. Um, I know that one of the reasons they chose London is London is actually, a, it was a big city, right? It was a pretty big city. Um, so the other location uh, where they were opening uh, things like this was in Hamilton. 
Um, so Hamilton, I believe, also had a veterans hospital as well. Um, obviously, there would be stuff up in Ottawa too. Um, so I think really that's what it comes down to is just that London was a pretty big city. Um, and so it was an ideal location. I mean, London has so many hospitals, right? Like it was just an ideal location to kind of open this type of medical facility. Um, and then in terms of the patients that were coming here, it really was a mix of all over Ontario. Um, I don't believe there would have been many coming in from out of province. I mean, who knows, the sources may correct me later on when I get to them. Um, but from what I've seen so far, it really does tend to be um, men coming in from different places in uh, Ontario. Yeah, no, that's, I had similar questions. It's, you know, maybe London doesn't seem as such a big city mm -hmm. now, but I can imagine, I know, I know we have um, the army base in London as well. Yeah. Is do, do you think there could be a possible connection there? I wouldn't be surprised if there was a connection there too. Yeah, I haven't come across it in my research yet, but I think that that's also, yeah, like definitely a, a connection. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Rose. You know, we're coming to the end of our time here and, and thank you so much for, for, you know, coming on our show. And, um, you know, if anyone wants to learn more about your research, is there any website or, or social media that they can reach you, reach you at? Yeah, definitely. So my personal Instagram is rosemary underscore Giles. So Giles is G-I-L-E-S. Um, and you can feel free to reach out to me on there. Um, I don't post much history stuff on there, but if you want to get in touch, that's definitely a great way to do it. Awesome. Uh, before you before you go, um, we do have a little bit of time for maybe one more meta question. Yeah, go for uh, it. It's I'm pretty impressed at, at your handle uh, on the material so far. You know, considering you say you're in first year, you know, <laughs> you're kind of just getting started. And you told us that it, for history, for the history program, you do mostly courses in your first year and get yeah. into your thesis in the second. So to have this uh, kind of a grasp on the topic already. Uh, is, is pretty impressive to well, me. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering now if you could tell us what is your day-to-day -day life as a history graduate student? What are you up to outside of the program and yeah. what does it look like to do this research? Are you writing on the computer? Where are you? Yeah, definitely. So my day-to-day -day life um, I guess I have my courses. So I am taking three courses every semester. So last semester I took three, this semester I took three. Um, right now I'm doing two in the history department and one over in the geography department. Um, it's a geographic information system course. Um, so I have those three courses. Um, I also work at Weldon Library, as I mentioned, and I also have a position as a graduate teaching assistant for uh, History 1810, which is Wars That Changed the World, fantastic class. I took it in my undergrad, so I'm really excited to be back as a TA for that course. Um, outside of that, um, in terms of my research, I have to say I've definitely hit a little bit of a wall right now, um, just because I've completed my request for the uh, access to information. And so now I'm really just waiting to get that back and see kind of where I can go with that. Um, I am also uh, working on a project with uh, Dr. McEachern as well, um, outside of, uh, of my thesis research, this is separate research, uh, with him as well. So I put about eight hours a week into that with him. Um, I also uh, ride horses in my spare time. Um, you know, got to do something fun too. It can't be research all the time. So I do ride horses as well. Um, and then 
yeah, other than that, I, I do a lot of reading for my courses. So I feel like that's how I fill my days. <laughs> no, that's, that's perfect. And, and, you know, thank you again for, for coming on our show. Yeah, it's, of course. it's been a pleasure. And it, and it was honestly really interesting to hear about this. It's very, it's a very unique, you know, area of research. So mm -hmm. thank you again. Thanks for having me. So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Francesco Colosimo. And I was your co-host, Ariel Frame. We've been speaking with Rose Giles, and this episode was produced by... Well, also me, actually. I'm going to be doing the producing. <laughs> if you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Um, at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on our podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at GradCast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great day.